Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word on this evening. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. None of me and all of you. Lord, I pray that you would tailor this word for every ear that's assigned to hear it, every ear under the sound of my voice in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you'll do. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation on this evening. And so, Father, for everything that you'll do, we'll be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone just say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on an everyday basis. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to once again reiterate that these front seats sit just as well as the back ones. Amen. They really do. I promise you they're the same chairs in the front as they are in the back. I just, just want to let that be known. Amen. All right. <laughs> We have been talking for the last little while about the number one or number one prescription in regards to a failure proof life is this area of embracing discipleship, embracing discipleship. It is not something that is is what I would call um, new because that's not what we do, but it is essential to the successful life as God defines success. Good old fashioned discipleship. Good old-fashioned becoming a learner, a pupil, and an imitator of Jesus. Becoming a learner and a pupil and an imitator of Jesus is something that never goes out of style. It is something that is a requirement for those that really genuinely say they love God. Not just certain people, but becoming a learner of the master is something that God requires from each and every single one of us. And the reality of the fact is, if you really got born again, God puts on the inside of you a new desire for him to grow, to develop. It's one of the things that I discovered the day I got born again, all of a sudden, after spending weeks it felt like at the time with my aunt who, who was a an evangelist within her own rights and minister of the gospel and she used to want to have us read bible stories and read this and, and let's get in the living room and let's let's read the bible and i used to sit there roll my eyes and couldn't stand it and why are you dragging us in here and all these kind of things when i got born again all of a sudden those same lessons, I wanted them. I want, show me this. I want, how does this work? All of a sudden, my heart changed because God placed on the inside of me a desire to be a learner, to be a pupil and an imitator of my heavenly father, to be a pupil and a learner, and imitator of Jesus himself. And we've said, what does it mean again? I, because one of the things I, I understand about being a teacher, just like in any other arena, is repetition is key. And so that's why we go over this and we go over this and we go over this. Very similar to when we were talking about the voice of God. Because we said when we hear God's voice, he's always the voice of peace, faith, and Lord have mercy. And life. Love, truth, faith, peace, and life. And one of the reasons why I say that is because, again, when we're talking about being imitators of Jesus, anytime we are hearing the voices that are contradictory to this voice of love, this voice of truth, this voice of life, we can determine and discern that's not God. So that goes and it corresponds with number one, that we place ourselves in the environment God has intended for my growth and my development. My growth and my development, that means the ministry gift, the person that is ministering, is going to be ministering from the voice of truth, from the voice of love, faith, peace, and life. And not from that of fear, not from that of, of hate, not from that of a lie or covering up things. So when I place myself in the environment God has intended for me, it means place myself in the environment that is in correspondent with his voice. 
Okay. Number two, we said, it's an attempt to apply the lessons that I hear. That's the reason why I just went over a review really quick about his voice. How do I incorporate hate within my life? A lot of people are doing that right now. How do I incorporate uh, uh, an area of, of a lie into my life? A lot of people are doing that. That's not what we're supposed to do. And so many times, there's so many Christians that spend so much time watching a favorite news channel here or this person over there. They're not spending that same amount of time or more time as they should in God's word, hearing and tuning their spirit to hear his voice. And so therefore, you try to apply, attempt to apply what you hear. You're not attempting to apply what you hear from God's word. You're attempting to apply what you heard from Fox, from MSNBC, from CNN and all these other things because you spend more time with that. So what he's saying is, you spend more time with me, attempt to apply what you're hearing from my word, which intrinsically means I got to spend some time in the word for me to be able to apply something. Okay, attempt to apply the lessons and the teachings I hear from God's word within my life. I got to have something to apply. So that means I got to actually, once again, place myself in the environment to be able to hear God's word, both in church and also in my personal life and my devotions. Number three, a call to discipleship, of course, is a call to perceive and interpret life through the correct lens as God's word is truth and authoritative. It's truth and authoritative. Let me give you a case in point since today is the 27th. <clears throat> today is the 27th. Proverbs. Actually, I, I, I like this, just based on what I was just talking about a second ago. Uh, let's look at Proverbs chapter 26. says really quick in the uh, New Living Translation. It says, a lying tongue hates victims. A lying tongue hates its victims. And flattering words cause ruin. There, uh, once again, because this is heavy in my heart tonight, there are a lot of lying tongues on television today. And one of the things that's very interesting about this particular verse, it says they hate their victims. You know, if I don't give a care about what's going on in your own life, I can lie to you with impunity. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what happens to you because all I care about is protecting the position that I have, the position of power that I might have or influence over you. And the Bible says right here, a lying tongue hates its victims. If I continuously hear somebody that's lying to me, I should be able to discern. Once again, that's not the voice of God. It is also indicating to me that that's the voice of somebody that really doesn't care about me. Flattering words cause ruin. Now, notice this. 27 in verse number 5 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. <laughs> An open rebuke is better than hidden love. And verse number six says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Wounds from a sincere friend. Why? Because a sincere friend is not going to be a person that continuously lies to me. A, a sincere person is somebody or a sincere friend is somebody will tell you about you even when you don't want to hear it. A sincere person that really loves you will tell you about yourself and say, listen, I love you and you can trust me because of the relationship that I have with you. And therefore, because of our relationship, I can trust your voice in my life. Placing myself in the environment that God has intended for my growth and my development means developing a relationship with the place that God has for me, for me to grow. And when he allows me to grow, for me to develop in that place, I, my trust for what's being said there begins to grow and develop. Instead of me just seeking after the cute things or the kisses of my enemies. There's too many people that are seeking after the wrong voices for affirmation. We should first seek affirmation from our Heavenly Father and from those that are speaking and directing us to a life of holiness. And not people that only are looking to say good stuff because they are looking for what they can gain from it themselves. Does that make sense? All right, number three, four. We said bear fruit, which is personal growth, and it is also works or works of the Spirit. And number five, of course, is imitate Jesus. Now, on Sunday, I introduce, or I, I'm, we're going to finish up this latter area in regards to this balanced look uh, between the importance of balanced approach uh, in regards to spiritual authority.
And on Sunday, we started talking about this area of order. This area of order. Everything in the kingdom of God operates by order. Before we can really have the discussion, I've kind of alluded to it somewhat, but before we can have the discussion fully, probably won't in this session, but about this balance area of how we look at ministry gifts, we got to first understand that, yes, there is an order within the church and ministry gifts are a part of that particular order. It is something we've said again that God sets up himself. But notice this term order. If you study out in the scriptures, you will find this sequence of definitions in regards to the word order. The word order means to arrange. It means to sequence in time or, or to call something sequentially, if you will. It also means classification or organization. Classification or organization. You ever see somebody live a very cluttered life? You know, there's no order at all. You, you might go into their room or you might go into their house and you're like, is there some kind of foreseeable order here? Because everything is everywhere. God does not do things this way. He classifies things. He orders it in a certain way. He arranges things in a certain way. And in, and in order for it to be the most beneficial, there has to be order to things. It is something that people that particularly gravitate towards clutter don't like to hear. Yes, there should be order in your life. Yes, there should be order in your house. Yes, there should be order in your time management. That I know where I'm going to be two days from now because I have a level of order. I have made it a, a, a priority to prioritize this commodity called time. Time is the one thing that you don't get back. So how you spend your time is completely up to you. At the end of the day, God's going to hold us responsible for the time. And how did you spend it? Where did you make this determination? What did you do with, what did, what did you do with those 20, 20 weeks back there in the year uh, 2022? Did you waste them? And now you're asking me to bless you? Or did you use them and maximize them? In other words, did you call things in order in regards to your life? The word order also means to command. It means to direct. It means a regulation. So when we say that is an order, sir. It is a call of a command. So God does call things in our life to order. I want you to fix that now. I want you to regulate that now. It is the declaring of a will. Now notice this as we begin in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. We get a picture of who our creator is. We get a picture of how he operates. The very first verse in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything that we see, everything that we know is, was created, it was fashioned from the heart of God. The word there, God, literally means, in the beginning, the word is Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim literally means ruler. It means judge. It means supreme. It means divine. In the beginning, the judge, the ruler, the supreme, there is none above him, created everything that we know that is. God is the one that, and he goes through systematically, creating one thing after the next, after the next, after the next. Why? You ever wonder? God's God. Why did he just say, I don't need these seven days. I'm just going to say, <laughs> He's displaying to us that God operates by order. A lot of people, even in regards to our life, in regards to the vision that God has given us, we want God to do just like that. <laughs> and just drop it on us. But he shows you in the very beginning, in chapter 1, he does everything in steps and stages in a strategic order, a sequence of, if you will, time. He does everything in an arranged, systematic way. This is how your heavenly father does things. There is always an order. And this notion that, well, you know, I'm just going to believe God and we're just going to. No, no, that ain't how this works. Because it doesn't go with, 
how he says he started it. Everything has an order. Everything has a time. Everything has a distinction. Everything follows a certain path. Now notice this. He says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 out of the King James. And God said, let us make man in our image and in our, after our likeness. Now it's very important that we understand because of the sake of time that God does not put man in an environment that's not complete. Sometimes we got to wait on God because God is preparing the environment for the gift that you have. And sometimes, you know, we get frustrated. Like, what's taking so long? God said, I'm not going to put you in an environment that's not ready yet. And so, yes, you have to wait because the environment is not set. God sets up the environment. He sets up the firmament. He sets up how everything operates. And then he creates a man. He creates a woman. And God said, let us make man, he says, in our image, in our likeness, in our likeness, in having, if you will, the capacity, the likeness, the capacity to choose. Everything else that I've created up to this point works and operates by a level of instinct. But he says, man, the uh, imago deo, if you will, I'm going to make this man this woman and shape them with a capacity to be able to choose what they will do to chart a course to choose the good or to choose the bad and he says this man this woman that has the same moral compass and capacity as i have the capacity to choose he says let them have dominion or authority authority over what over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air, and over every, over all, uh, I'm sorry, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. He says, now that the environment is set, I'm going to give the people that I've intended to have uh, uh, rights here, because I created heaven, I created earth, but I've created this man, that he would have dominion over this environment that I've created for them. I heard Dr. Miles Monroe say uh, one time, uh, and it's still, I'm still working my way through the, the complexities of it. He said, if you think of it this way, the Eden is not as much of a place as much as, as it is an environment that God created. That's the reason why you can't find Eden now. Because it's an environment that God created before the fall, and he puts his man and his woman in this environment, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you this seed called Eden and I want you to multiply that on the earth sometimes what God gives us is the small things it has everything on the inside of it and if you can perceive it correctly he says this thing this seed it doesn't look like much I want you to multiply that I want you to spread that out if you trust me to show you how verse 28 he says and God created man in his own image in his own an image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. He created them. That is vitally important because prior to the fall, there was a level of unity and equality within the Garden of Eden. There was no, no man's here, woman is there. He says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, he says, and God blessed, notice the term again, them. He blessed them, Adam and Eve. And God said unto them, be fruitful. Notice the term again. God said to them, be fruitful. Man came first, but God did create woman. And at this point in time, there was equality. And you'll notice that once we get born again, once we come into the kingdom of God, we see once again that God lifts us up to this area of equality. There's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. He says everybody's equal at this point in the kingdom. He says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Subdue it. Subdue it. What does the word subdue mean? Cause it to be brought into order. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowls of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Once again, the word order means to arrange, to sequence, to classify something. It means an organization, if you will. He says to this man, this woman, bring the order. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve begin to do. They begin to classify. This is a horse. This is a cow. This is a causing things 
in order just like they saw the heavenly father do bringing things to order now the opposite of course of order is disorder yes instability turmoil confusion a thesaurus may even use the term chaos mess or muddle that's the opposite of order and we know that first corinthians we said again 14 and verse 44 says a god is not the author of confusion so if he's not the source of confusion if i'm having disorder in my life instability in my life i gotta first examine me because this is not the nature of my heavenly father if i got all this clutter in my life and things are not called the order in my life it's not god that's the author of that i gotta look at me what's going on in my life that god's been directing me to bring this to order and i'm not doing it the word order or the next thing we talked about is this area of to submit when I'm submitting to the order of God, it means I'm yielding to God's order. It means I'm no longer resisting. It means I'm giving way to God's order. Now, we understand in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, Elohim created everything. He's the ruler. He's the judge. He's the supreme. Now, Satan shows up as a snake in the Garden of Eden, and he asks them, do y'all want to be like God? deceiving them to think they're not already like God. And notice he says in verse number five, and God said, does, and for God does know that in the day ye eat, there, <clears throat> eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be like, and the word God's there literally means Elohim. So he says, if you eat of this fruit, on the day you eat of this fruit, your eyes, you're really going to be able to see, you're going to have a new level of enlightenment. One of the things you'll notice about the devil is he's very consistent in regards to how he comes at us. Every generation has this new wave of this newness. If you come over here, I'm going to give you this new thing, this new perception, this your eyes shall be open. You don't need no God. You can be God. It is always, always the same thing. You don't need all that church stuff. You can be God yourself. It's always the same thing. God's order is him first, you second. That ain't ever going to change. They were already like God because God, who is the voice of truth, told them that they were like him. They were made in his likeness. The devil says something different. He's the father of lies. We understand that. Now, this correlates with this area of church order. We've said in the past that God has set up within the church these offices. Again, he calls things to order. He says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. So God himself, when Jesus goes and he ascends on high and he gives us the Holy Spirit, he does not leave things in chaos. He does not leave things in disorder. He does not leave things muddily. He says, I'm giving you gifts. Christ gave gifts to the church. He says, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Now, intrinsically within every single one is we can find a level of gifts that correspond to these five-fold areas of ministry. And that's the reason why I went over that uh, for the last two Thursdays, looking at these and examining how we can identify some of our gifts through these five-fold ministry gifts. But we're going to conclude this in talking about them as individual people as well. That God has set up within the church, again, a distinction of order so that things are not chaotic. The prophet, the evangelist, the apostle, the shepherd, and the teacher. And he says the responsibility is to equip God's people. Well, to equip God's people sounds like to make disciples. So it's hard to have a discussion about discipleship and embracing discipleship without also having a discussion in regards to spiritual authority. He says to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, verse 13, they will continue until we come into such to come to such unity in our faith and in the knowledge of God 
God's son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is going to continue until we all grow up. So the reason why we said again, you do not see fivefold ministry gifts in the Garden of Eden is because there was there was no fall. The reason why we have fivefold ministry gifts on this side of the fall is because God has raised up people to help you regain the righteous and holy position that you lost in the garden. That's the point. Does that make sense? So. Spiritual authority, once again, is God's designated or appointed people or persons called to lead us in the direction of spiritual transformation, unity of faith, development of personhood, for the restoration of kingdom citizenship, for kingdom deployment. It is something that is regulated by God and not man. It is something that God determines this is what's needed, and I'm going to set this up myself. Now, as I indicated to you on probably about two weeks ago, there is a correlation between the church and when we look at the nation of Israel, particularly when they're coming out of Egypt. Egypt represents being held in bondage, the bondage of sin. That's what Egypt can represent to us metaphorically in the Old Testament. When they, if you read the scripture, the Bible distinctly says when they came out of Egypt, God put them in a particular order so they look like a conquering army when they come out of Egypt. They go through this experience with the red flood, um, yeah, the Red Sea rather. The Red Sea represents a place of baptism in which they go in one way and they come out as a new nation. They come out as a new people. It represents a form or a fashion of redemption. And so God brings them into the wilderness and the original intent is to bring them to the promised land. But because of their disobedience, they are stalled in the wilderness. All of these things, again, is their types and shadows of what Jesus will ultimately do for us on the cross. When we look at the story of the Exodus. So within this story of Exodus, we see that God has raised up a particular leader named Moses, that he would help facilitate the move of God. Once again, spiritual authority that God established, not Moses himself. Moses is a shepherd. He's on the backside of a mountain. He might have had a passion to deliver God's people because he was in a place of, of influence when he was in the palace back in Egypt. And he steps out to maybe start a revolution when he's young and it doesn't go so well. So Moses says, all right, forget y'all. <laughs> Get my stuff and he's, he, he becomes a criminal. And he runs off. Now. It took me a long time because I, I, I used to read the story and, and you know, because I've seen the Ten Commandments and I watched the Prince of Egypt. And the notion that you get sometimes when you watch these movies is this is really quick stuff. Moses spends 40 years in Egypt. He grows up. He's around my age when he leaves Egypt. He spends another 40 years out in the wilderness with the Midians, with the Midianites, right? Hmm? Huh? You're too far. Yeah, the Midianites. I thought, I thought so now. Forty years out in the wilderness. Okay, that's the point. One day he sees on the mountain God calling him back to his purpose. But this time, when God calls him to his purpose, you don't have to go in your own strength. See, when you try to do your vision without him, it always going to fail. You're always going to struggle. It's always never going to go the way you think it's going to go. When God calls you back to your purpose, you go with his strength, his ability, his supply. And so God calls him back to his purpose. This is central. He's 80 years old by the time God said, I want you to go back to Egypt. And so by the time they are in the wilderness, you know, a couple years have gone by. So I don't know how old Moses is at this point, but he's a well-established man. One of the things he's established in is that God called him. God sent him to do this particular work. Why is this important? Because it becomes important when one day Moses is confronted in this area of his leadership with this man named Korah. Let's look here and we're going to finish here tonight. <clears throat> Anybody want to do some reading? No? Yes? 
Well, you have to be on the mic to read this. All right, then. Now we'll, get, we'll make it. Amen. Let's look at Moses, the profile. <laughs> huh? Okay, let's go on. For the sake of time. <clears throat> let's look at this, and we're going to close here, looking at this story of Moses and Korah. Moses, a profile in spiritual authority. Moses is a profile in spiritual authority because, once again, any spiritual authority, these fivefold ministry gifts that we understand in the New Testament, in order for you to have your authority, it has to originate from God. Otherwise, it's just religion. You got to call me, Bishop. You got to call me. <laughs> a shepherd. You got to call me these things. And the reason why you got, to, you got to flaunt that is because you really don't operate in the authority of that office. Because really the officer, when we think about it, and I said again, let's think about this as an adjective. If you are a pastor, we can see that. You're an apostle, we can see that. If you got to show me this card, it's because we don't see nothing. <laughs> you know, there's a problem here. All right. So Moses, again, is our profile on how you operate in spiritual authority. Notice this. In Numbers chapter 16, Numbers chapter 16. <clears throat> Scripture says, now the day Korah, again, let me skip through for the sake of time. Korah is essentially a son of Levi, which means he is most likely a cousin or relative of Moses because he is from the tribe of Levi. That is vitally important. Korah sees himself with Dathan and, I'm, I'm going to try this, Ab, Abram, I think it's Abram, as, you know, hey, you know, we cousins, you know, we all kind of on the same level. Verse number two, it says, and they incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community and all prominent members of the assembly. So Korah shows up one day challenging the authority of Moses and Aaron, saying, you know, we all Levites. Now, I'm just saying, we all, you and me. So we all in the same family. And Korah brings 250 leaders of the community, prominent leaders. So these are not just regular folks. These are folks with statue in the community. And they all show up to challenge Moses and Aaron. And when Moses heard, they, uh, heard what they were saying, notice what he did. He fell down on the ground. He fell on his face, rather. He fell on his face uh, down on the ground. One of the things I love about Moses, anytime Moses gets his back against the wall, he goes back to once again, who called me? <laughs> I fall on my ground shows a level of humility. He does not, you know, say, I got to defend this position. I got to defend my church. I got to, no, he falls on the ground. Notice he says in verse number five, and they, then he said to Korah and his followers, tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is, notice the term, holy. The Lord will allow only those who he selects to enter into his or enter his presence. The King James literally says, and he spake to Korah and he says, notice the latter part, he says, he, even him whom he has chosen. He says, tomorrow God is going to make a distinction between those that he called, which are the authentic spiritual authority and those who are not. I believe. That one of the things that's going on, and it started in the year 2020, is that God is making a separation between those he really called and those who are chorus. Verse number seven, drop down, he says, and light fire in the morning, uh, light fires uh, in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites, he says, are the ones who have gone too far. He said, we in the family, God already separated us out to be Levites. Notice he says, verse number eight, and Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. So he's talking to family now. So we can argue that he's talking to the leadership within the church. He's looking at his elders and saying, now look at it, let me explain something to you. He says, does it, does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near to him so that you can serve the Lord in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before uh, the people and minister to them? Verse number 10, Korah, he uh, has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. 
Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? He says, you already have a level of authority that he's already granted you. But you are seeking a position that God did not call you to. Once again, all spiritual authority is established by God. You can't call yourself to be a prophet. That ain't how this works. Can't call yourself, well, I'm decided to print me up some cards and I'm going to be Apostle Johnson today. Well, did God call you that? Okay? He says, don't you understand, because especially, this happens, I've seen this a lot, <laughs> that uh, you are elding your church. That's where your anointing is. That's what God called you to do. You wanted to be the shepherd. <laughs> so you decide to go up the street, start you a new church, so that you can be shepherd, so you can be the pastor. God never called you to do that, and you can't figure out why there's no oil. The reason why there's no oil is because you're anointed to be where he sent you, not where you want to go. You can't be in a spiritual authority outside of the set place that God has for you. He says to Korah, you've been given authority, but now you're seeking a position that God did not give you. He says, verse 11, the Lord is the one you and your followers are really revolting against. Anytime you try to start something that God didn't call you to do, you don't realize fully sometimes that you're in open rebellion against what God's called you to do, against your purpose. He says, for who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? Aaron, once again, didn't call himself. God called him into the ministry. Verse 12, and Moses summoned Dathan. Let's uh, drop down verse 13. Uh, <clears throat> He says, uh, he says, we refuse to come before you. So he calls them together. He says, let's come together in the tabernacle and God's going to decide who he has called. They said, we ain't coming. We don't want to come. We don't want that to happen. We ain't going to do that. We refuse to, to submit to any of your authority. He says, verse 13, isn't it enough that you brought us out? Now notice this, brought us out of Egypt. This is interesting. Every time I see this, a land flowing with milk and honey. One of the things that you'll notice that when people are in open rebellion against spiritual authority and then they're calling themselves, they will tell you how hard it is. Oh, it's so hard to be in ministry. Oh, it's just, it's so. And you know, it does have its challenges. But one of the reasons why they say it's so hard is because they don't have the grace to do it. When you are called of God to a position of spiritual authority, there's an unction to function. Now he says, now notice he also said, to the land of Egypt. Now the land of Egypt was a land that flowed with milk and honey, but it was a land that flowed with milk and honey because of the whip of master uh, that he was placing on your back. So they have wrong perspective about what Egypt was. He said, you done brought us out here into the wilderness away from, from the good place that master had for us back home in Egypt. Wrong warped mentality. He says to kill us in the wilderness and that you now treat us as your subjects. Now, in Egypt, they really were subjects. Now you are under spiritual authority and you are really legitimately free in God's system. And you now think, because you hear this as well. Now I done came over into the church. Now I got to be subject to the pastor. We were free out in the world. No, you really, you really weren't, sweetie. In the world, you were subjected to the devil and his torment, but you didn't fully realize it. Y'all sometimes think that back in the world, it was flowing with milk and honey. Now I came into the church, and you want me to submit to rules? What about grace? <laughs> Verse number 14, he says, what's more, you brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. You done brought us out here this wilderness. You told us we're going to go into this, this place that you said we're going to follow your vision. And it ain't happening the way we thought. And it ain't happening fast enough, Moses. Then Moses became very angry. Now this Moses, this, this Moses, this my kind of Moses right here. Now he done fell on his face and I ain't getting irritated because, you know. You know, you just heard this bunch of foolishness that came out of these elders. And he says, and Moses became angry and said uh, to the Lord, do not accept their grain offerings. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them. And I have never hurt a single one of them. He says, I ain't called. I ain't, I ain't brought you out here to make you a subject. You know, there's so many times, you know, authentic pastors say the same thing. I'm not here to steal from you. 
That's not why we're here. I got some folks right now, they like to make jokes about, you know, pastors taking folks' money. I'm like, we never asked you for anything here. I don't, now yeah, up the street, now, Reverend, whatever he might have. I, I'm not responsible for him. At this church, we want to give to you. We want to bless you. Moses said, I'm doing this for your good, not to take from you. He said, from here on, don't, don't take no more offering from them. Now, if we can have some pastors to get bold enough to say, this, you know, some of the members, now don't take no more offering from them because one ain't in faith. They don't obey God and they got the wrong heart motive. A lot of pastors, they're like, well, we're going to forget that part. We just bring the money on in here. <laughs> and God going to bless them. It'll be all right. Verse number 18, and Moses said to Korah, you and all of your followers must come here tomorrow and present yourself before the Lord. Aaron will be here also be here. Verse 17. And you and each of your 250 followers must prepare an incense burner. And let's drop down. So they prepare incense. Verse 18. Um, and, and, and essentially place it in uh, the tabernacle. The presence of God comes down. Verse 19. Meanwhile, Korah are stirred up. Meanwhile, Korah has stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron and, gather, and they gathered all the tabernacle entrance and the glorious presence of the Shekinah presence of God um, of the Lord appeared to the whole community in verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. Now notice what he says to Moses and Aaron. Now in the congregation, because not only did Korah store those 220, 250 people, he starts storing up the community. Starts saying, no, that ain't, this ain't God. He brought us out here. Starts some mess. Starts an area of strife. Now, God starts to talk. He says, he says, essentially, get away from the people that I may instantly destroy them. So God says, step back. I'm about to handle this. Notice this once again. When you are God's set authority, I can even say this in regards to where God sends you. When you are God's set authority, when people start coming up against you, and God has sent you to that place. Sometimes you got to, you know, you pray for him, but you step back just a little bit. I'm going to pray for you. I'm believing God for. But if you keep trying to do something that's against God's set authority for what he's called for this time, let me just step back because there's going to be some things that happen to you because God sent me here. Verse 22, he says, and Moses and Aaron, watch this, fell on their face down uh, on the ground. Oh, God. Because God said, I'm getting ready to destroy all of them. Oh, God, they, they pleaded. You are a God who, had, who gives breath. and In other words, they plead for the sins of those that are speaking against them. Sounds very similar to what Jesus tells us to do, yes? Pray for your enemy. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Verse number 22, for the sake of time, 28. And Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things that I have done. For I have not done them on my own. You know, there's something about when I'm submitted to spiritual authority, I need to be able to see Jesus behind this particular person. There's always, again, when we talk about the voice of God, the voice of life, the voice of truth, the voice of love, I can hear the voice of my heavenly father coming behind that spiritual authority. He sets me on it when it's genuine and authentic. That the ministry gift can say, for you'll know that I've not done this on my own. Verse 29. If these men die of a natural death, of a natural death, or if nothing unusual happens, he says, then the Lord has not sent me. He says, we're going to have a point of distinction. If these men just naturally die, God hasn't sent me. But if they die in unusual death, God has sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new on the ground uh, and the ground opens his mouth and swallows them and all their belongings and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have shown uh, contempt for the Lord. He says, we're about to see a point of distinction. And in any time when, when God is, is, is getting ready to make a move, there's always somebody that shows up to try to stir up people against what God has called them to do. We don't have to get in our flesh because if it's something that's originally or authentically originally from God, then God always responds and defends the movement. We don't have to do so. Verse 31, really quick. He had hardly finished saying this. So he says, 
if these men, these men of Korah, if they die an unusual death, the ground opens up and swallows them up, you'll see this is a marker that God sent me as the spiritual authority and not Korah. And the scripture says, verse 31, he had hardly finished speaking words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and along with their followers who were standing with them in everything they own. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings the earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. What are we trying to see here? Once again God is the one that defends his work when he calls you to his work. You do not have to operate in your flesh in order we got to defend it. We got to do something. We, we, we got to do something. The name of the Lord is going to look bad. No, no. Stay in the position of holiness because God has ways to defend his work in ways that go beyond you. Now notice this once again for the sake of time. So essentially what happens, the earth opens its mouth up and swallows Korah. And not just Korah, but everybody is influenced by Korah, swallows them up all at the same time. And it authenticates the fact that God has set in order the spiritual authority of Moses in the community. Once again, spiritual authority is regulated by God, is designated by God. Yet one of the things you'll notice, and I'll close here for the sake of time, is that when it came time to dealing with the leadership of the community that we're going to call the nation of Israel, God is the one that directly dealt with Moses. He's the one that directly dealt with Aaron. When it came time for Aaron to die, God tells Moses, take him up on the mountain, take off the, the priestly garments. And he stripped of his priestly garments and he dies in that spot. It's something that leadership takes care of. When God gets ready to deal with the leadership of Israel, he says directly to Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. God is the one that deals with spiritual authority. Trust me, nobody gets away with anything. It's never a point that we see that the Israelites were able to confront Moses and discipline him. No, God's the one that deals with him. God has a way to get to pastors and ministry gifts that are going rogue. We never have to worry about that. The thing that we want to understand, again, is this area of order. Everything in the kingdom operates by order. Everything in the kingdom operates in a level of decency and in order. Understand this really quick and we'll close here. Order brings peace in our life because the opposite is disorder and chaos. So everything running around this way, that way, this way, there's no order. There's no peace associated or attached when there's disorder. It brings an area of protection in our life. One of the things that is an amazing thing is when, you know, we can talk about it in terms of parents, but one of the things I saw growing up is that when you have a real, real strict teacher, people like that. The kids like it. You would think they'd be opposite. No, the kids like it. They feel, they feel safe in order. They feel safe in the fact they have a level of expectation, which moves us to the other Order brings a level of confidence. I can, I can expect this is going to happen. That's one of the reasons why God calls things in the order, because he says this is how this works, and it works the same way for everybody. The just shall live by faith. Faith works the exact same way. God is not a respectable person. If you do the same principle the same way, God says, I'll bless you. Blessing might not look exactly the same way, but the principle will operate exactly the same way for anybody that operates the system, because that's the order that God sets it in, uh, sets up for it. And then because of this confidence, it offers a level of joy. Joy is a satisfaction of knowing that God is going to do what he said. He's faithful to his word. Count it all joy when you go through diverse temptation. Knowing this, the triangle of your faith, work of patience. What is he saying? Count what you know about God so that God is not going to negate his order. He said we live by faith. God's going to keep what he says, he's going to hold exactly to what he says so I can take it to the bank because God is a God of order. God does things methodically. He does things strategically. And if I just stay in the place of faithfulness, what I'm believing God for will surely come to pass because God's not going to forsake his order. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you and we praise you that you are indeed a God of order. 
you call things into order, both within our life and also within the life of our church and our ministry. We thank you, Lord, that all authority is set up by you. And we choose, God, as an act of our will to submit to the set authority that you've placed within our lives. Not as a position of authority or replacement of you, but out of respect for you and the fact that you place them in our lives is because you want to develop and cultivate something within us. So, Father, we just thank you for the set authority that you place within our life. We thank you, Lord. That is how we indeed embrace this area of discipleship. And, Lord, we won't be resistant. We won't be rebellious. We will do what you said, be in the place where you said for us to be. And we thank you as we submit and yield to your authority. We thank you that the blessing upon blessing upon blessing will flow in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone just say amen. Amen.